I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, a passage that's probably well known to many of you. As you turn there, I would encourage you in your Bibles, 1 Corinthians 2, beginning with verse 6. I know it'll be on the screen behind me, but if you have a Bible with you, I encourage you to get in the habit of opening your Bible. It's a good thing to do. It's a good practice to hold. Verse 6, however, we speak wisdom among those that are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would, have, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Now, it doesn't end there. Look at verse 10. Verse 10 starts with what word? But. Now, if you have a statement and someone says but, that means that's on this side and the but is on the other side. And not to be rude, but that's what it is. So this is what's said, but... This is now, so he says, but God has revealed them, what them? These things that have not entered into the heart of man or his imagination that man can't think up. He's, those things he has given to them. God has revealed them to us through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things. Yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man who is in him, which is in him. Even so, no one knows the things of God except the... Okay, no one knows the things of God except... And to those to whom he reveals those things, which is the verse before. So for you to know anything about God, where does it have to come from? the Spirit of God. So when you see God in any capacity that's accurate or truthful, do you know who showed you that? Not your smarts, not your education, not your abilities. It's not you, in fact, at all. It's the Spirit of God. That should cause us, first of all, to be very thankful that God has shown us anything. Do you know if he hid, you'd never find him? (laughs) Do you realize that if God says, you're not finding me, there is nothing you could do to find him. You could search all, you could do every religious practice, act, whatever, meditation, you could try anything you wanted, but you would not find him. God, the one true and living God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ is a self-revealing God. He has to reveal himself to you for you to understand who he is. Does this make sense? Okay, now this is very contrary in our world today. Most people think I'm the one that finds God. 
A lot of people think, in fact, there's entire theologies that are based on what they call seeker-friendly. Well, people are looking for God. Romans says no one seeks God. So when there's something in the heart of an individual, I want to know God, I really want to know who he is. Do you know where that thought came from? Not from you, but from God. David said, Lord, you said to me, seek my face. So your face, Lord, I'll seek. Now we have received, verse 12, for those that are believers and belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, for have we have received not the spirit of the but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words which men's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit. Now, (laughs) the natural man doesn't do what? receive the things of the Spirit. When Jesus was teaching about the work of the Spirit, he says the world can't receive the Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit. It neither sees him nor knows him. And so it's impossible. God is a self-revealing God. Now these things are important. Why? Because all around you, you're being taught all sorts of things that come from a different spirit. He says, you have not received the spirit of the world. Can I say to you, there is a spirit of the world. And when we listen to the wisdom of the world, when we go by the ways of the world, when we go after and love the world, the spirit who is behind it is going to play puppet master with you. The Bible teaches us, the life of Jesus teaches us that the Holy Spirit who has come down from heaven, who has poured out on us so that we can think differently, we can walk differently, we don't get caught up in the same things everybody else gets caught up with, or at least shouldn't, so that we're not those who love the world, the things of the world. The lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, the boasting of what we have, the stuff we got and what we've accomplished as though that's something to be, (laughs) lift me up above others. All of those things are passing away. But he who does the will of the Father, he or she will live forever. When Jesus said, he said, follow me. He didn't say, please hear me. He didn't say, know about me. He actually didn't even say go to church. Should we go to church? Yes. But he didn't say that. He said, follow me. He didn't say just pray to me. He said what? Follow me. That means there's an activity of going in the same direction after him. 
Being a Christian is not just what I believe, it's the effect of that revelation upon my heart and it shows up in the transformation of my life. If someone says I believe in Jesus and I follow him, but they're a drunkard, they're a liar. Those who continue in sin have neither seen him nor knows him, John said. And so there's a difference when we follow him We walk with him and not according to the world's ways. I need to go over, we've been looking at some of this and I've really, it's been quite heavy over these weeks because some of us are, we've gone through a season where God is blessed with so much grace on us. People have been healed, delivered. Some of you have been involved in it. You're like praying for the sick and boom, God heals them deliverance, demons coming out this way and that way, all sorts of wonderful things happening. And now there's an atmosphere where, Lord, this is harder now. Why why is it harder now? Anyone else feel that or is that just me? And you feel as if this is harder now, why? Because the things that he's taught you (laughs) have to be proved out in you. We spent quite a bit of time dealing with the fear of man, being delivered from the fear of man. Because we have then the Holy Spirit or the spirit of fear, we have the Holy Spirit and he's the one that comes down and he fills us so that the fear of God is in us. Do you know God's supposed to be your fear? Well, I'm not supposed to be afraid of God. Actually, that's a lie because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And I tell you, if you saw him face to face like John did, you'd hit the floor too. He went down as though he was dead. I kind of think he was because when Jesus put his hand on him and spoke, he says, I'm the resurrection and the life. I think he gave his life back to him. But see, the fear of man and being free from it isn't something that just happens on the streets. Lord, help me here. It's not something that's just about giving the gospel and evangelism. Being free from the fear of man is something I practice at home. When the kids are being disobedient and rebellious, and I say, cut it out as a parent. We're not afraid of their reaction because we're afraid more of him and our responsibility of obedience to him than the way they're going to react. Husbands and wives. The fear of the Lord means you don't scream at your spouse. Physical violence in the home between a husband and wife is illegal for those who claim to know Jesus. And the fear of the Lord is something. See, we get afraid when something's happening in our home. Even with our children, their disobedience. And sometimes children can get affected by demonic forces. People don't believe that a lot in our day. We often tend to agree with the Greek mentality that children are innocent and fine and 
Well, if you're a parent, you know that isn't the case. You don't have to teach them to be disobedient, right? But how many times did Jesus set children free? Where a father comes to him and says, my son is like this. It's been like it since he was young. And Jesus has to set them free. But we get afraid to say anything about what's happening in the home. So we're afraid because it's shameful. We're like, well, if something's wrong, maybe it's my fault. And we're trying to lay blame and we're working. Well, the fear of the Lord says, no, I'm going to expose it so it can get free and dealt with so it doesn't remain the same. Does this make any sense? See, the fear of the Lord is something that we operate in, not just on the streets or when we're preaching or, or sharing the gospel with someone to be free of the fear of man, but we bring it out and we expose it to light so it can be dealt with. How do you deal with darkness? You bring in the light, turn on the light. That's the way you deal with it. And then there's freedom. A number of you, maybe not in this service, but other services that we have, have said, I remember one, one particular lady said that, that her, her son was hitting her, cussing at her. And after he got prayer, something went. He doesn't do it anymore. Something changed. But it takes the courage to say, I'm not gonna let this keep me in darkness because of shame. But Lord, please, when you humble yourself under his mighty hand, he'll lift you up. There's no shame in the kingdom for that. There's freedom. Jesus bore our shame, so we don't have to be governed by it. We've spent time looking at what it means of the world. Now, first of all, I'm just going to go through a quick recap. First of all, Jesus is not of this world. He came down from heaven. He's God who became flesh. He didn't leave his divinity behind. He's completely God, the fullness of the Godhead, but now he dwelt bodily. He says again and again, I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. And he's talking about his heavenly father, who is God, a three in one. He's God almighty, father, son, and Holy Spirit. The only one to ever come out of the bosom of God and to be made flesh is the word of God. The one who was God and became flesh and dwelt among us. And his name was Jesus and given it to him from heaven because he would take away our sins and he would set his people free from their sin. Jesus is not of this world. If what is spiritual and from heaven is not understandable by the natural man, what do you think it would have been like to meet Jesus? If what is of God can only be understood by the Spirit of God, and men or women without the work of the Spirit, how do you think they would respond 
to Jesus who is the fullness of. They'd be confused. They wouldn't understand Him. They would turn against Him because the spirit of the world is at work in them and they would find themselves as enemies of God in a very real way. So that's what happened. He comes in, and I've heard people say, well, people just want to be loved. <laughs> Have you ever heard that? Yeah. Um, I disagree with that statement. We don't want to be loved. We want the people to do what we want them to do. Love came from heaven. It was manifest in perfect perf- perfection, <laughs> and they crucified him. When you're a child and you want to play in the street, the last thing you want is your parent to come out and say you can't. Why would they say that? They're not going to give you 50p and say play on the toll road, are they? They're going to pull you off the street because they love you. They don't want you harmed. Going that way will destroy you. And what happens then is that as children, what do, how do, well, how did you react when that happens? Oh, go, go, when she was young, how did she act when you told her no? (laughs) And our children act that way. Why? Because they want to be loved? No. They want to do what they want to do when they want to do it. And we can't blame just the children because without Christ, we're the same way. You know how that shows up, a real clear way. When you're at Tesco's, And if you're in the queue and someone cuts it in front of you, how mad does that make you? My rights. Hmm. It reveals our heart. Once you're in the the road and you're trying to go through and, and you want someone to let you in, right? And then you feel obligated for the next guy. Not because you're okay with it, but be, well, someone let me in, I better do it. I'll look bad. And then too many people want to get in, how do you react? Okay, these are simple things. What, what is this? But love comes into the world. And God demonstrates his love and he goes to the cross. I'm, I'm sidetracking for a moment. I just feel in my spirit I need to. You know... We're very firm in demanding our rights. I remember a long time ago, I, was, I had an argument with my wife, and <laughs> it was, uh, um, I was right. <laughs> she was wrong. And I remember I was pretty disgruntled, and I had to go to a, a Bible study, and I'm at the Bible study, and a friend of mine looks at me and goes, what's wrong with you? And I said, well, I've had a tiff. Has that ever happened to anyone just before you come to church and you get in a tiff? And you're right. You know, they're wrong. You're right. It's really clear. There's no argument. It's just, and my friend turned and looked at me and with a real boldness, I'm really grateful for, he was a real friend (laughs) because he spoke the truth to me and real friends speak truth. (laughs) And and he said, "You, you may have been right, but you weren't loving. Let that sink in for a second. He says, you may have been right, but you weren't loving. 
See, we demand our rights. You want to be right. But love is able to be wronged and still function. The world doesn't function that way. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth. They love the law until it applies to them. We want justice and vengeance until it's my turn. But Jesus is on the cross. He's being wronged. He did nothing wrong. He was pure, holy, undefiled. No sin in him at all. And he was the one being crucified. He was the one being rejected. He was the one that was paying the cost, not of anything that he had done, but of what you have done. Your sin was laid on him. He was the one being wronged. And yet, how did he act? Father, forgive them. See, the world functions very differently than heaven does. It's under a different spirit. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, I believe it is. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2. In which you also once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Just uh, waiting for that to come up. The spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Anyone who is outside of Christ, that spirit's at work. You say, well, I'm religious. So? There are religious spirits. <laughs> there are spirits of infirmity. There's spirits, all these things, unembodied things, who do all sorts of things. But this one is speaking about the prince of the power of the air. That's satanic. Our mindset still rests in that we're under the influence. Our flesh and the world connect like best friends. The world says jump, we say how high. The world says shut down and we say for how long. The world says you need a vaccine. We say okay. Sorry if I'm touching on things. The world dictates. And it says, it says if you value your life, it's in what you own. And so we buy as much as we can. The world says if you're really important, everyone will like you. And you watch them fall from such heights. In a moment, public opinion changes. They say, well, if you're smart and you have a big degree and, and you can do all this, it'll make you somebody. And then they take what you do and make it a bomb. The world. The prince of the power of the air. The spirit who is now at work. 
and the sons of disobedience. There's two spirits, the world and the one who has come from God. The Holy Spirit himself to fill. There's no middle ground. You either belong to one camp or the other. Say, well, I don't like that. I can't help it. Jesus said, if you're not for me, you're against me. If you don't gather to me, you scatter. Now we can't be those that are functioning in the kingdom of God and then be those who also try to have one foot in the kingdom of the world. We try to do both sometimes. And we get affected by the things that we hear, the things that we see through the gates that we have in our person. Covetousness comes through what you see. That's why they show you what you always needed and never knew you never knew existed. Every commercial is telling you, you need this, you need this, you need this. And we watch it again and again and again. And then we find ourselves buying it and we're like, I don't even know why. Those influences that are coming without the spirit of God, you have no defense. The world and, and, and the flesh of every human being, the natural man, they go together. If I can accomplish something, if everyone knows my name, people are willing to, to have their name known even for doing evil things as long as their name's known. The world and the flesh go together. Your eye gate. What you watch influences you. And some of you don't want to admit it because you don't want to shut Netflix off. I understand. What you listen to affects you. I, I looked up something on the line the other day. This is produced by the National Library for Medicine. It, it looked at music, popular music, or day. Music can affect the, this is theirs, that is a quote. Music can affect the behavior and emotional emotion of children and adolescents. We conducted a conduct and trends analysis of the Billboard's top 10 songs. This is like in between 1999 and 2018. With particular attention to adult and positive themes. There were a total of 3,633 total references, of which 3,298, that's 90%, over 90%, were adult themes. The most common adult theme were sexually suggestive lyrics, 32%. Sexually suggestive dancing, 15%. Use of swear words, 13%. Use of alcohol. 4% use of guns and deadly weapons, 4%, over 4%. The most common, the, the, when it came to the positive things, there was less than 1%. You say, well, I, I, I like to listen to the music, so what's going in? Yeah, it'll be all right. Yeah. Don't have to, it's not real deep here, this is just basic stuff. When I, when I was a young person and I studied computers and we had to learn, this was way back when, when Apple IIe, I think was what the, the big one was at the time, way back when. You probably had never heard of those, most of you. But I learned how to program in basic, but they had a, 
had a principle that was called G-I-G-O. G-I-G-O. G-I slash G-O. Garbage in, garbage out. If you program it wrong, the computer is just going to do what it's supposed to do. You put the wrong thing in, what's going to come out? The wrong thing. We're putting the wrong thing in, and we wonder why our mind goes to certain activities. We keep putting it in, and we wonder why we struggle with certain thought processes. We keep putting it in, listening to the one, let me show you, First John, First John 5, verse 19. First John 5, verse 19. We know that we are of God and that the whole world, who? The whole world is under the sway of who? Okay, so his voice is in the music. And I listen to the music. I'm intentionally now, or maybe just passively, because we drive in the car and put the radio on, I understand. But we listen to these things and... Where is that voice coming from? And so what's going to happen? Garbage in? See, this is the way the world works. And this is why in our own walk with God, there has to be an intentionality to not do, take certain things out and put other things in. So as we're doing it, that our mind begins to get renewed and we're able to evaluate what we're seeing, what's happening around us, and able in our lives to stand even when the pressure's on and I still stand. This is an unpopular teaching, I understand. And people will say, well, it's conspiracy. No, actually it isn't. They use that phrase to stop you from thinking independently. <laughs> now listen, I'm not a flat earther and all that kind of stuff. I just want to say that off the bat. But when it comes to the truth of God's word, reality is from him. So you're living in a world that says there is no God. They're trying to live in God's world <laughs> breathe God's ear on God's timeline and try to do it in a way that ignores him. Do you know what schizophrenia is? Psychosis is trying to live and think contrary to reality. Mental illness is on the rise because people are trying to live in a world where God is. He's everywhere. The testimony of God is on everything. Everything from what he's made. We look into each other's faces and we can see the image of God stamped. I agree some, some of those stamps are pretty marred and pretty distorted, but it's still the presence of God. We have this happening where God speaks and he says in his word that men are without excuse. It's everywhere. And yet we try to suppress it because of our own desire, our own wickedness. I want to live differently. I don't want to live in conjunction with him. 
and the world functions that way. You and I, having been born again, and we've received the spirit that's from God, I'm gonna say to you, if you're having been touched by God in that way and you're still trying to live in the world, it's even harder to do that than before you were born again. Because now you can see it everything clearly. And you're beginning to look at the stuff and you're going, dude, that's like wrong, that's wicked, that's evil. And you're like, you can see it, but you're trying to forget that you... <laughs> but he's called us to walk in that truth. We've not received the spirit of the world, we received the oneness from God so that we might know the things that are freely given to us by God. So where are you gonna find those? Not in meditation, not in yoga, you got a Bible in your hands? Yep. There you go. Yep. God breathed. You want to know what God thinks about stuff? Open it up. Yep. You say, well, uh, David inquired of the Lord before he went this way or that way. You want to get a new job. I want to quit my job, Lord. I can't stand it. These people don't like me very much. Okay. Is that your fault or theirs? If God puts you there, he did it so that you're the witness there. He didn't do it so that you'd be liked. And we say, well, if they're not, I'm gonna quit my job, I'm gonna go then. Did you ask him? See, you didn't ask him because you knew what his response might be, or at least you thought it was. You didn't ask me. Well, I'm not the authority in your life to tell you what job you can have or haven't. No, but I'll point you back to him. And I'll ask you, what has the Lord told you? So we'll go to people who tell us what we want to hear instead of walking and inquiring of the Lord and doing what he said. I've seen people quit jobs and they got more money and it was absolutely worse than what it was from before. Why? Because they didn't inquire of God. They wanted to tell God what it was that they had to do. That's not inquiring of the Lord. That's telling God what your plans are. They say that's how you make God laugh. But the world's, listen, the reason you feel the pressure in the world is because it's trying to squeeze you into a mold. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. The world is trying to literally squeeze you. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies to God, which is your reasonable service. That's the minimum. <laughs> Next verse. And do not be what? No, the word for there is to be squeezed. It's like when you, you, you remember, remember Play-Doh? Anyone? I don't know. There's still Play-Doh out there? It's terrible. Gets in the carpet, gets all hard. It's bad news, right? I think I ate some when I was a child. But you stick those little things at the front of it, and then you squeeze the thing down, and it would come out like a star, or it'd come out like a spaghetti, yeah. Or come, and so the squeezing and the mold is there, and the pressure is designed to make you fit that, look like that, act like that, look like, be like that. 
And the world is doing that. It's putting the pressure on with that mold and trying to make you look like everybody else around you. It's funny, everyone wants to be an individual, but they dress like everybody else. Everyone has these little subgroups, right? And everyone looks the same, talks the same, smells the same. And the world's trying to squeeze you into a mold. But he says, by the word of God, your mind can be renewed. And the word for transformation in there is the word metamorpho. Think, well, what is that? You ever heard of the word metamorphosize? It's the process by which a, a caterpillar or a, um, those little wormy things, they go in, they spin the cocoon, and they spend time in there. And when they're released and they come out, they come out as a butterfly. That's the word that's used. The metamorphosis of God by the power of his word in the power of the spirit will actually transform you so that you look, you smell the fragrance of Christ like him. And there's a strength in it where Jesus said, I've overcome the world. Jesus came into the world, wasn't conformed to it. He didn't look like everybody else. Didn't act like everybody else. He wouldn't even do like every, Jesus, you don't even keep the traditions. Well, because they contrary the law of God. You will value those more than what God has said. He did everything that the Father required. In fact, he didn't do the stuff the father didn't say. He was obedient. And everyone was pressing in, trying to make him look like this, act like this. Everyone has an opinion of, well, something, you're, you're, you're one of the prophets, you're Jeremiah, you're this. Everyone has an opinion about who he is. But the revelation of heaven is that he's the eternal son of God. And he's not going to be conformed. I hear people, my Jesus He's not your Jesus. <laughs> he is Jesus, and we have to be his people. I don't get to define who he is. He is defined by himself. But they tried to squeeze him into a mold. It didn't work. Because greater is he who was inside than he was outside in the world. And he says, listen, my spirit now lives in you. He says, now you don't have to be conformed to the pattern of this world either. Here's my word. My words are powerful. They're spirit, they're life. See, we say we want the, the joy and the peace and the, the gentleness. We want the fruit of the spirit. But the only way that comes is by the spirit himself. And his reigning power. I need to finish. Some of you have believed the lie that I have to change first and then when I change, I can draw near to him. That's a lie. That's not true. You don't change first and then draw near because without his aid, you can't even see him. Without his help, you can't be like him. You want the things to go. And we need those changes in our life where that affection for those bad things, I don't want that anymore in my life. 
or that attitude that I've had where I'm reacting at so-and-so and I don't want that in my life. Or there's these things that can be there and we think, well, I'll get rid of that. Then I can come near Jesus. Then I can worship him. Then I can, that isn't the case. He gives the gift of repentance, but it happens with him. And as you draw near to him, some of these things, these besetting things that you're going through and you're thinking, well, I'm trying to get rid of it. I understand that. Draw near to him. Go spend time with him. How? Go by yourself. Open up the Bible. Tell him, Lord, I'm dealing with this, this, and this. Well, Lord, I'm going to focus on you. I want to minister to you. When we come in on a Sunday and we're singing songs, can I say to you that the songs aren't for you? They're not really about you. They're about him. And we come in to minister to him. And we say, oh, I don't really feel it. <laughs> minister to him. Serve him. How? You know that the thankfulness of your heart and your mouth, it brings gratitude, that gratitude expressed to him brings joy to his heart. When his kids say, when, moms, when the kids say thank you without you saying, you got to say thank you. Doesn't that make you glad? It's just a simple thing. But how much more our heavenly father when we come and say thanks for the blood, thank you for the most powerful, gracious act that has ever happened in all of history and Christ dying for me and giving his blood to make me clean. Thank you. And we come and we minister. Then we listen. We draw near and he'll change you. The world says, you can't do that church thing until you're clean already. You'll never go. The world thinks different than what the Bible teaches. And we need our minds renewed so the transformation happens. We live in what it means to be redeemed. We live in what it means to be reconciled. If I've been reconciled to him and I become a reconciler, what's that going to look like when I treat other people? If I'm redeemed, and I am by the blood, then how am I going to view how I relate to things? How am I going to treat my body? I don't belong to myself. It's not mine. I don't get to mark it up any way I want. I don't get to use it for things that are immoral. It doesn't belong to me. It belongs to him. But these truths, these realities, they grow inside you. And as you grow in these things, you actually think different. You look different. You respond different. And it's more and more like Jesus. Freedom is real. Maturity takes a bit of time. Be patient. <laughs> And keep going and let him finish and perfect the work that he started. The Holy Spirit taking what belongs, what Jesus purchased, and by God's gracious and precious promises, bringing those things together in your heart, you will be different. You will walk different. You will smell different. We're the fragrance of Christ to God. Among those that are being saved where the fragrance, it's a beautiful one of life. <laughs> Among those that are perishing, 
or also the fragrance of death. Lord, help us. Father, we bow in Jesus' name this morning. And thank you for your love. Thank you for your mercy. Lord, thank you for your truth. Lord, we thank you that in, in Christ you, you, you give us and you're willing to fill us and baptize us in your spirit so that we might know not just the ideas or knowledge, but that we would have power to walk in the good of what you provided that we would be those that see and, and know you in truth and have a, a clear understanding, have a, a true understanding and the knowledge of God. And that, Lord, we would walk then in this world the way we ought. Lord, you've told us not to love the world. You've said, don't be friends with the world. Lord, yet you loved the world in this way and you called it out of that dominion of darkness and you calling people out into your kingdom. And so help us, Lord, to do the same. We pray this morning, Father, for those that are struggling with something besetting that just keeps nagging them, that keeps showing up in their attitudes or their choices. And Lord, I just pray release over them in Jesus' name. I pray, Lord, that by your power, you would just open their eyes to the reality of it and you would bring that repentance, that change of mind, and you would bring liberty and freedom. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that we, we can choose what we put in our eyes, as it were, and what we choose to listen to, what we choose to think about and dwell on and fantasize about. That, Lord, you would help us to lift our thoughts up, Lord, that you would fill us, Lord, with your spirit and help us to fill our minds, our hearts, and hide it, your word in our hearts. That these things we may dwell on, Lord. And you said we'll prosper in all that we do. So help us, our Father. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your correcting work. Thank you for that maturing work that you're doing in so many. Thank you that you're going to finish what you started. Our trust is in you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.